Well, uh, so lovely to see you all uh, this morning, and um, Mother's Day, hey? Uh, I was saying before when we were praying as a team, just uh, all the volunteers and everyone who was here saying, Mother's Day is really happy, dads do the folding day. <laughs> That's what it is, right? So it's, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, let me pray and have a think. Of, we're going to have a think about this issue of prayer together. Lord, speak to us now. Um, help us to learn from this story that is so interesting and so human and set in the middle of such a challenging larger story. Amen. So... Um, Here's the big question with prayer, and thank you all for your participation and sharing all the ideas and, and your experiences of prayer. I mean, one of the things that strikes me is that prayer is a universal human experience, isn't it? I mean, every, pretty much everyone prays in some way, shape, or form, irrespective of how you formalize that and what your formal religious background is. But uh, the question we're going to think a bit from this text about a, a number of questions, and the first one is this. Uh, this is the question we're going to try and answer. Um, first question, what is the point of prayer? So what's the point of prayer? What's the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? What is, does it achieve anything? Um, uh, what's the point of prayer? Relationship with God. Okay. Other ideas. What's the point of prayer? Reflection on ourselves, on life. Yeah. Hope. Hope. Aww. Uh, what? Why? So what? You, you, the prayer gives you hope. Okay. That's awesome. What else? Yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. We can. It can help us become thankful. Conversation. Um, so there are two typical answers that we give about prayer. What's the point of prayer, right? One is it, uh, it ch and this is quite a common one, it changes us. Like one of the things about prayer is that it gives us hope. It, it gives us a sense of calm. We reflect. It's good for us, right? Yeah, okay. What's the other? The other one is it changes. Others? Outcomes? The world? God. Didn't, did I hear someone say God? Like it changes God, doesn't it? At least changes God's mind. Right? Isn't that the whole point? Like we talked about a relationship before. Isn't that the point of a relationship, that you influence each other? Um, that it actually affects the other person? And so, uh, typically, we say, okay, prayer changes me. I sometimes think, and, and I think that's true, and it's wonderful, and it's good. Uh, and then we jumped immediately to prayer changes others in the world, and that's also good. Um, but actually, the only way prayer changes the world is by changing God, presumably. That's a bit of a confronting thought, isn't it? 
There we go. But 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 that's the nature of relationship, right? So what we so prayer changes God. Um, it changes God's mind, and um, that's pretty cool. Now, of course, you might immediately go, uh, I don't believe in God. I'm not sure there's a God. Well, that's great. The problem we all have with saying, I don't believe in God, is that pretty much we all live as though we do. <laughs> and, and not only do we just believe, the, the, the fact that we all, irrespective of backgrounds, in some way or shape, pray or ask the universe for stuff, we all think there's, and we live as though there's a higher being, a power that in some way is responsive to us actually responds. Otherwise, why bother? An unresponsive God is as much use to us as no God at all, really. Which, of course, begs the question, should God be of use to us? But that's a topic for another sermon. But let's assume that God should be. And God is, because he loves us. Uh, now, often Christians find this confronting because we think, but hang on, hang on, hang on. If you've been a signed up Christian for a while, you might go, but, 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 but God's in control of everything and God plans everything. And, and depending on your spiritual tradition, you might even say God predestines everything and God is completely sovereign. Have you ever heard those ideas? And maybe that's true. Certainly evidence in the Bible for it. But actually, there's a lot of evidence in the Bible that, yes, as sovereign as God is and as predestinatingly awesome as he is, he's at the very heart a personal being who responds to us. And that's what we see in this text. That's what we see in this text. That, and it's a fascinating story, isn't it? Here's Abraham. And uh, as Paul talked about Abraham and Sarah last week, had had this encounter with these three men, two angels, and uh, and God, probably Jesus, hanging out with the angels, wandering around, sitting down, having a meal with Abraham and Sarah. And they're about to leave, and they look out the tent, and they see Sodom in the distance. And, uh, and the angels and Jesus, are, they're wandering around the world, and they go, let's go check out Sodom, because we want to see how bad it really is. Now you go, why would they be doing that? Good question. Why would God need to come and check out how bad Sodom is? Well, uh, it's the same. This story parallels the story of um, uh, the flood, actually, where God, has to, God comes down to check out the world. And the answer is this. Um, if you recall, and, and you may not, here's uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Here's uh, Yahweh, the God above all gods. And Yahweh exists amongst uh, and, uh, and rules the world with a divine council of spiritual beings. And this divine council uh, has been ruling the spiritual world. And then God creates, um, we're not flat earthers here, we're oval earthers. Um, God creates the world. And, uh, and, and people, here's Adam and Eve here in the world. Go back to that, Adam and Eve. And, you know, just, uh, they... Um, uh, he makes them, and he says, what I want you to do, Adam and Eve, and humanity, is I want humans and God to cooperate in ruling the world, in ruling this created world. Adam and Eve rebel. And so what happens is 
Um, the nations are spread around the world, and we're going to represent the nations as these little circles, just all the different worlds. And God gives the nations over, puts authority over the nations to a whole bunch of spiritual beings, Elohim, we might call them for the, uh, those playing along at home. And uh, so the Elohim, which is the Hebrew, are just meaning spiritual beings, gods with a little g. They've got spiritual authority over all these nations. And, uh, and these nations under, under these Elohim continue to mess up and mess up and mess up and mess up. One of these nations is, uh, are the Canaanites, and they're represented in this story by the city of Sodom. And uh, they've really stuffed up. So you can imagine there's a conversation now between Yahweh and the divine council. And, and they're like, and the divine council come to God and they go, hey, listen, uh, Yahweh, your idea of creating human beings and giving them autonomy and setting them free is a really, really, really bad idea. I mean, they are terrible. You thought that human beings would love you and that they would follow you, and it was a great idea, but you've made a complete mess because look at how these people are behaving. And you've wiped them out once at the flood, okay? You spared one family, Noah. They started again, but just give it a few chapters in the book, and man, they are, it's awful. And Sodom is particularly bad, and their neighbor Gomorrah is just as bad. So, um, so God, you, if you're just, this is what the divine council would have said. They would have been sitting around going, what do we do? Well, God, you're just, we're just as the rulers of this world. We can't let this kind of evil just keep on going. So God goes, okay, okay, buddies, here's what we've got to do. I want to send you guys down. You're, you're spiritual beings, I know, but take on a physical form. And I want you to go uh, reconnoiter, check it out. And if it's as bad as we're hearing... Um, we're, we're going to wipe them out. Okay, that's the backstory. Um, so then, that's what happens. They come down, they see this, and uh, and the, you might say, Mark, that's a big backstory you've just made up. N not really, um, but maybe. But the, the the hint that says I'm on the right track is verse 17. You see where God asks himself this question, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, why would he say that? Well, he would say that because now, if this is no longer, this is no longer um, Adam and Eve, so this is Abraham here, and for the purposes of brevity, we'll call him Abe. And, uh, and, and God's plan for Abe is that Abe is, sits up here in, with him in the divine council and together, uh, and maybe along with Sarah, they share uh, the, the, the kind of how God's decision-making and actions in the world, that Abraham becomes part of God's divine council and God rules the world with Abraham. So he goes, well, I probably shouldn't hide this from Abraham because I'm about to do this major thing and, and I've, I want to involve everyone. He's doing a bit of stakeholder involvement. Um, with all the key people that he's chosen to share his authority in the world. So he says, okay, I'll let Abraham in. I'm going to talk to Abraham uh, about what I'm about to do. And so he has a conversation with Abraham. And he does this because Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him because I've chosen him. 
So you see, it's, it's doubly important because as Abraham sits with God in the divine council, the plan of God is that Abraham and through his nation, Abraham blesses all these other nations. And Abraham helps all the nations of the world come to know how good Yahweh is and connect with God and love God and serve God. So that's the plan. Now, if that's the plan, it's probably important God tells him that he's about to wipe out one of the nations. So I'll, I'll just let you in on this, Abraham. So then there's a conversation that starts between Abraham and uh, God, and it's a great conversation. Um, Abraham goes... Ah, listen, God, I, yeah, let's, let's, let's workshop this plan of yours a bit. God goes, okay, sure, what have you got for me? He says, well, what about, what about 50 righteous people? Will you really sweep it away uh, and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? And then he says, which is a great call if you're ever counseling, if you're giving advice to someone who's much more powerful, he appeals to God's own character and justice, and he says... Um, far, you know, you can't, you can't wipe out 50 righteous people just because you want to wipe out the rest of the city. That would make you an unrighteous judge. So he says, far be it from you to do such a thing. God, you, you couldn't do that. This just wouldn't work to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So here's Abraham taking his seat in the divine council, having a discussion with God about what will it look like for God to do what is right in the world. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? What is the point of prayer? The point of prayer is you and me taking our seat in the divine council with God and having a conversation with God about the best way God should bless and rule the world. That's what it is. That's the point of prayer. Because now it's not just, it's not just Abraham up there. This is you and me. And, and we're here and God says, I want to consult with you. I want to draw you in to my plans for the world. Now, um, it's not Sodom anymore, is it, that we're talking about? When, when we talk to God about what he's going to do in the world, it's not Sodom, but, but what, do we, what do we talk to God about? Well, we talk to God about Sydney. But we talk to God about our families. We talk to God about our work. We talk to God about India. We talk to God about all the things in this world, and we're like, God, I'm, you know, I you're a righteous judge. Let's think about what would it look like for you to act in the world, right? So you've got kids, right? Uh, we all want the best for our kids, if you've got kids. Um, but we also want God to want what's best for our kids. And we want to work in partnership with God to bring blessing to our children. So when you pray for your children, which I'm assuming you do, particularly just before you know they get their exam results, or, or when you get a message in your voicemail that the principal wants to see you, <laughs> then you pray hard for your kids. And maybe what you're saying is, and, and the way to frame your prayers for your kids is, God, you, you're righteous and you're good, and I'd love it if you did 
X, Y, or Z for my child. And, and I think that'd be really good for them. But what do you think, God? And, and you talk to God. And, you know, maybe he'll listen to you. Presumably he will. Now, you're not always going to get it right. But, but like when you read this story, what Abraham said really shaped God's actions in the world. Like the story is set up like God's going to wipe them out. And then Abraham goes, eh, let's think this one through a little more. And God goes, okay, let's think it through a little more. I mean, they still got wiped out. Bar one couple, one family who actually weren't even sodomites. When you pray for your work, now most of us go to work. Uh, and most of us have complex relationships with our workplaces. They're wonderful and glorious and awful at the same time very often, aren't they? Like, that's just work. So, so when you pray for your work, what do you pray? Why pray for work? Well, you're actually wanting to partner with God that, that God's love and rule and blessing will be exhibited and manifested in your colleagues and in your work and in how you do your work. And when you pray for your work, you are taking up your position in the divine council to partner with God in ruling the world. So you pray for blessing in your work and you ask God to do stuff in your work so that it works, it's a little more like heaven. That's what you're praying for, that, that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, that God's will is done in your workplace. And, and that's a job that you have to do and that's a responsibility that you have to do. You may be the only person in your work, who's talking to God about what goes on in that workplace. So you should do it a lot. And who else is going to be doing it, right? I mean, other people in your workplace will be talking to other gods. There are other Elohim and spiritual beings working in your workplace. And so others will be talking to the spirits of power. God, give me more power. And by God, it's a little G. And they may not know who they're talking to, but they're talking to the spirits of power. God, give me more money, the spirit of mammon, because I want to get rich. Now, why do you think our workplaces are so fraught? It's because people are pursuing things other than the kingdom of Jesus in the workplace. And there are spiritual forces who are quite happy to cooperate with them. So if you are a follower of, of Yahweh, of the one true God in your workplace, you should be talking to God a lot about what goes on in your workplace because there's other forces at work. So, so that's a responsibility. That's, that's what Abraham was doing. Sodom was his workplace because he was called to be a blessing to the whole world. So he's like, okay, God, come on. Let's talk about this. And... Um, now, of course, the access we have to the divine council, you might think to yourself, well, hang on, How can, why would God possibly listen to me? I, after all, am a, I'm as much of the problem, you know, as a parent or as a worker or as a citizen. I'm a, I'm a pretty average, sinful, limited human being. Why would God listen to me? And that's a very good question. The reason God listens to you is because access to the divine counsel, access to the presence of God has now been thrown open and made available to us on the basis of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the one true human, the one true uh, person who, uh, who, who, who by his death actually opens up access 
So we come to God now, not not directly in the same way that Abraham did. Mind you, actually, I'm going to go out on a limb. Don't quote me on this. But if if the God that Abraham was speaking to was in fact Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and I happen to think that is the case, then in fact we always only ever get access to the divine counsel to Yahweh, the God above all gods, through the second person of the Trinity, namely Jesus. So in fact, Abraham connected with God in the same way that we do, if my reading is right, which is through Jesus. So through Jesus, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done, we now can go in and talk to God. We can have a chat, talk about what matters to us. And what that means is, it it has some profound implications for prayer. So as a result of this, when you think about this, we see prayer is, um, prayer is, is intimate. Um, When you read the story of Abraham and God, you go, they're just having a very human to and fro. And that's actually the kind of intimacy that you and I are drawn into. Prayer is not, I mean, it could be, and maybe it is, but it doesn't have to be very... O Lord, thou great and glorious one who sitteth high and exalted above all us mere worms, and thou greatest goddess is up therest in the heavens, and we dost beseech thee, most magnificent being above all beings. Like if that's how you normally talk to someone, feel free. But often we think, I can't, I don't, I don't have the big words, I don't have the great sonorous voice, I don't know the right things to say. Well, here's the vision that God says, God is with you, where this came out in your prayers, he's with us. Jesus is closer to us now than the very chair that you're sitting on. So at any point you can just have a chat to the God who's with you about the stuff that matters to you and to God. Is your marriage in trouble? Are you in the middle of a fight with your spouse? Take a moment and go, help me, Jesus. (laughs) Or help her, Jesus. (laughs) Help us. Help us. Uh, I was doing a um, a, a master's degree many years ago at uh, RMIT in uh, in, in, Sydney. organization dynamics and our, our, our the topic we, this whole program was done in a small group and our our topic was strategy and everyone was having to present and talk about in this small group about how, you know there were some very senior leaders in this group how they develop strategy for their organizations and everyone's well I do this and I do that and all the latest things and I sat there and it came my turn and I said um, I use prayer and prophecy <laughs> <laughs> really well they all knew me by then so they sort of put up with me but i but yeah that was 
15 years ago, and I still think that's, how do I know how to live in the world? Well, I partner with God and I talk to him all the time. Now, you don't have to, talking doesn't have to mean you actually speak, right? People might think that's a little weird, but you can have a conversation and you can, you can speak in your head without articulating it. So the key to the Christian life, it seems to me, uh, is to pray continually. This is, if you got the email update, I used that verse from 1 Thessalonians 5. What does it mean to pray continually? It means to realize you are never alone in this world. You're never alone. Involve God in everything because he's involved in anything already. Go back to marriage and family. Um, I can't imagine trying to be married or raise kids without actually actively, proactively involving God in everything and asking him to bless us and be part of us. Like, isn't that just, and to do it all the time? And couples who I've talked with and worked with over many years, that's what I say, just involve God. Involve God, talk to God, just the way Abraham did. So it's intimate. Uh, it's, it's prayer as a partnership. But the other thing you'll notice from this text, it's a partnership, but it's not of equals. There is a hierarchy in prayer. So there is uh, Yahweh and there's us. Now, we're partners, but in the end, where do our prayers end? Like, what's the most profound prayer that Jesus ever prayed? The most difficult prayer. The most agonizing prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Or let me read, what's the most difficult conversation Jesus ever had with his father? In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's looking down the barrel of torture and crucifixion, and he talks to his father, and as he wraps the conversation up, he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Like, that's where the conversation gets to. In this divine human partnership, you wrestle with God, you talk to God, you ask God to do stuff, and in the end you go, you're God and I'm not. Your will be done, not mine. But I'd really like this to happen. But isn't it really good that God doesn't always give us exactly what we ask him? Imagine how bad that would be for us. Think of the person you might have ended up married to. <laughs> if when you were a teenager and your relationship ended and you said, oh God bring us back together again maybe i'm just you know actually i'm just talking about myself here um i've got it answered that prayer oh my goodness sheesh Whew. thank you jesus dodged a bullet there <laughs> dodged a whole magazine <laughs> so your will be done not mine god and that's where the peace comes from, isn't it? Some of you mentioned that. That's how it changes us. Because I go, ah, oh, i got to talk to God, but he knows best and he loves me best and he'll do what I need. He'll, God will always answer my, your prayers, 
my prayers in ways that are best for us. Can I say that again? As you talk to God and involve him in your life, you do so with the certainty that he will always answer your prayers and act with you in the world in the way that is best for you. Now, that can be hard to believe at times, can't it? Oh my goodness, like so hard to believe. What do you do? Like what do you do when you, you face enormous suffering or someone you love faces enormous suffering and you pray and you ask for God to heal them and they don't get healed? Your little kid gets leukemia as somewhat as associates of mine in Melbourne had, beautiful little kid gets leukemia and dies. And they're a beautiful, gorgeous family and they've been missionaries serving over in the Congo. And I mean, you couldn't ask for more. Like they've done everything for God. And they've got everyone praying for this little kid to get healed and the kid doesn't get healed and the kid dies. And you go, huh? Huh? But, but then, I mean, for me, it's quite, it's actually pretty simple as I get older. You see, the older I get, the more I realize how little I actually know. How, how could I know what would be best for me or the kid? I, I can't even, I can't, I don't know the future. I don't even know when I'm going to finish this talk. <laughs> Let alone what's going to happen tomorrow. And what will be best for me tomorrow. And best for my I've got some ideas. And I'll talk to God. And you've got lots of ideas about what would be best for you and for those you love. And man, you should talk to God about those things a lot. A lot. And go for your life. And don't ever stop talking. And when God doesn't give you what you want, you know what you should do? You should go and have it out with him and say, but I asked you for this and you gave me that. What's going on, God? Because like the Bible's full of stories like that as well. They're called the Psalms. And it's okay. But in the end, when you've done all your arguing and your wrestling and your grappling and you're crying, you kneel down with Jesus and you say, not my will but yours be done. And you get up and you trust that God's will for you is, and for those you love is far better than anything you could imagine. So prayer uh, is a partnership not of equals in this story. Um, and prayer, it's an intimate partnership that does change the world. As much as it changes God's mind and it changes us, it's the means by which God seems to choose to act to bring blessing in the world. Now, I'll be very honest right now, because typically I'm not. No, I jest. I try to be as honest as I can. Let me be super honest. I don't understand why God chose to share ruling the world with people like you. I can understand why he do it with me, because I'm pretty much like God. But you, ah, and you're thinking the same thing about me. We all think, well, of course, I should be running the world. That comes quite naturally to us to think that about ourselves. But look around you and you think, why should these people be running the world as well? Well, God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to share running the world with a bunch of people like you and me. I don't know why. It's his plan. He's done it. 
And it works. I don't know. Go figure. He's, it's how he set the world up. It's this privilege that we've got that what we do actually changes the world. Healing comes through prayer as God heals people, as God saves people, as God restores marriages, as God transforms workplaces, as God does all kinds of things, brings forgiveness and mercy. Like it's, it works. Now, um, of course you could say, how do you know it works? Well, yeah, we don't have a parallel universe that functions as our control study in a double-blind clinical trial that takes a placebo of prayer and we pray to the real God. So, yeah, the scientific method can't prove that prayer works. But it works. <laughs> because we believe that there is a God who's deeply involved in the world and involves us in being involved with his work in the world. So let's pray and um, ask God to... Well, just have a have a conversation with God. Uh, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God and Father of Jesus, we come to you and, and thank you. I want to thank you that we can work with you and participate with you. And I've got, a, I've got something I'd like to talk to you about, about this group sitting in front of me, Lord. I, I pray that, that this week their lives will be a little different. Because what they've heard now, even the little bits that they've managed to stay awake for, that will, you will work as a result of this in each of our lives so that this week we'll talk to you a little more. We'll cooperate a little more deeply with you. We'll know that you're present with us a little more. I pray that as a result of this, our families will be a little more like heaven. Our marriages will be just a little more like heaven. Our parenting will be a little more heaven-like. Our workplaces will be a little more like heaven. Our street, our neighborhood, our suburb, our city will be a little more like heaven. I just, just come, just do this. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big ask, Lord, but that seems to be your plan. So do this, I pray, for us here. Amen. It's awesome. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And we're going to not sing again. But you can hum or practice civil disobedience. Let's stand. We should stand. <laughs>